0: Totally Football Show. Today, Man United make like a self-service checkout and have unexpected problems in the baggies area, while Man City win hearts of football fans everywhere with a sterling performance against Spurs and a video-assisted title celebration. And with the soul of football quietly slinking away to die, Totally Football is here to give you all the facts that matter, not just in the Premier League. We talk Wolves straight out of Compton Park. We talk Europe with Portuguese drama, a PSG demolition and the city A gold drought, more nils than a Danish phone book. All that plus great stats, top World Cup books and other things too in this Totally Football show. Big weekend for titles across the continent, listeners. Thank you for joining us on what looks set to be a very special edition of the show, not least because it features the vocal talents... Of uh, Michael Cox. Hi, James. Whose book The Mixer tells the story of Premier League tactics from Route 1 to Force (laughs) 9s. Duncan Alexander. Hello. Whose book Outside the Box, a statistical journey through the history of the football. Of all the football. Of all the football. (laughs) Is also available in shops. So That's a tough decision right now for you. Yeah, people fight over it, over the decision. And Daniel Storey, whose 16 conclusions is by definition, almost book-length in itself, but who has also a top-secret work. Mm. Can we now... You've now submitted the draft, mm. but we still know no closer to oh. knowing what it is.
1: No, I've, I feel that's been given a slightly over-exaggerated... Ah. Um, is
0: it more of a kind of novella thing?
1: Yeah, it's a novella. That's right. exactly what it is, yeah. OK. I wonder if we can winkle out any details
0: from you in the course of today's <laughs> show. Of course, the, the big story... Is that City had won the title at the end of a, a week that really restored, I think, a lot of people's wavering faith in football right up until that moment when they dropped their celebratory video.
2: Yeah, it wasn't great. But it was, I mean, it wasn't their video, was it? It was a. Brand sponsor yeah. partner. Thing. Yeah, but featuring a
0: lot of involvement from the players. Yeah, yeah. I, it's it's a fair point you make, and given how switched on clubs' media departments, social media departments now tend to be, I can only imagine the mood at Man City's right now after seeing, as you say, their partners, basically blow any goodwill that Pep. I think all the goodwill it's gone.
3: No, <laughs> probably fair. Do you think, Duncan? I'm just going to stomp my feet. Right.
0: OK, all right. Speaking the international language of fandom there. But in football terms, they are now uh, Premier League champions because West Brom win and they beat Spurs. West Brom win, it was that kind of a week, wasn't it, Daniel?
1: Yeah, it, it was a dreadful, dreadful performance for Manchester United. One of Jose Mourinho's excuses, or one of the excuses made for Jose Mourinho is that they haven't got the, the financial capability or they haven't managed the transfer spend to compete with Manchester City Um, there is a semblance of a point in that but they've also dropped 13 points against the teams between 10th and 20th this season Um, and they've dropped 11 against teams two of the promoted teams and the current bottom three so they lost to Huddersfield lost to Newcastle lost to West Brom drawn with Southampton drawn with Stoke and they're Yeah, they're, they're absolutely terrible. Um, what, why? Uh, I think there's a lack of ruthlessness. I think there's a lack of ability to take... That, that has happened ever since Ferguson left. That, um, this inability to take goodwill from one performance to the next. Um, it almost feels like roll-the-dice football. Sometimes they roll a six, as they did in the second half against Manchester City. And the next week they roll a one or a two against West Brom. There doesn't seem to be any cohesion from performance to performance in my mind. Again, the attack looks stilted whenever they play at anything other than oh goodness me, we need to score two or three goals very quickly now. And when they do play in that mode, they look excellent, but there seems an inability to do that from minute one to, to minute ninety and, and that makes them very easy to defend against.
0: Also they came up against the new look, West Brom. Darren Moore's undefeated West Brom.
3: Darren Moore's now taken as many points in two games as Pardew did in his last eleven, I wow. think. So um if anyone if there was anyone in the country who still thought appointing Alan Pardew wasn't a bad move, I think they might have woken up. But I don't think there was. Right.
0: <laughs> so they hadn't won away in the league since August, mm-hmm. but now they win at Old Trafford. Jay Rodriguez's header was special. Ben Foster's saves were pretty special as well.
1: Yeah, they they were, but there was nothing David De Gea esque, shall we say. There right. was nothing truly game saving. Manchester United didn't create enough opportunities from which they would reasonably expect to score two or three times and West Brom have been conceding two or three goals in most of the games they've played before Darren Moore came in. Um they, they did they look better. Um they look like a team who believed in their manager a little bit more, even though it's you know it's ultimately going to be futile because they will go down. But very pleased for Moore. He seems like someone who is honest and committed in his coaching role, which not every coach or player at West has been this season. So I am. good for him.
0: Would you, will he stay on? Is that the expectation in the championship?
3: I wouldn't think so. I think it'd be a bit of a mistake. It's a sort of appointment that's good for a, a couple of weeks, and then you know, if you we've seen it many times where the you know the assistant or someone in the club steps in, does okay, mm. gets appointed, and then within sort of six nine months is the Craig Shakespeare effect. Exactly. All right, Shakespeare's sister. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, that was our didn't West Brom do well bit. Did you want to? <laughs> did you want to add anything to that, Michael? Before we launch back into. Man United's inconsistencies or should we just skip that and say they couldn't be bothered because it was all about last weekend for them yeah I think that's true Michael said that was true good I'll quit on that subject while we're ahead well done to West Brom anyway City previously had beaten Spurs in resounding fashion I think myself and probably quite a few other seasoned observers had anticipated Tottenham making more of a go of this game
2: but it not to be yeah they're excellent. I mean, from the outset, I think they just completely outplayed Tottenham really. Tottenham was strangely disorganized. you know, usually, I think they are probably the the most well organized team in the Premier League defensively, I'd say even ahead of city in that respect, but they seem to be in a peculiar situation where they conceded too much space both behind and in front of their defense i mean the first goal was was pretty much a simple long ball in behind that caught tottenham out um and thereafter it was kind of uh there were a couple of incidents where de Bruyne and, and Silva were combining between the lines and it was like Tottenham just didn't have enough players in that zone of the pitch somehow it was peculiar um yeah it was quite convincing for City I mean really it could have been four or five and you wouldn't have said that was unfair upon the um you know on the balance of play Sterling in particular um got into some good positions and probably should have scored more than once yeah but um it was a shame really that you know I think it's a shame that such an incredible season for City has been one with United's failure. I know some people are saying that's going to be more fun for City fans. Don't really buy that line, personally. I think it would have been nice for them to do it in style. But it's a kind of underwhelming end to what I think has been quite an underwhelming Premier League season, to be honest. I'm sure
0: they'll be raising glasses of water in pubs all over the country to them. <laughs> yes. Um, you did 16 conclusions, Danny, as we mentioned, on this game. Uh, I imagine what half of them were about Kevin De Bruyne's left foot.
1: Yeah, it was a it was a beautiful pass that the ball kind of went really high in the air and he just cushioned a, a, a ball in the pass of Sterling the great thing for me was the way he he, he watched the ball from the moment it had left I think Vincent company's foot um, all the way up in the air and all the way down onto his own foot and into the path of Sterling I agree with Michael I thought Spurs were incredibly disorganised they kind of it looked for the first five minutes as if they tried to press City and then very quickly realised that City were too good for that press and passed their way out of it. Which The problem was, is so they kind of eased off a little bit, but then they also continued to play with this incredibly high defensive line, which meant Vincent Kompany was able to have all the time in the world just to knock the ball over under no pressure. And Hayes just ran on I thought... The, the the key takeaway for Spurs for me for the game was was Hugo Lloris again he was mm. he was really poor um I think he was partly to blame for the first goal because I think he was by the time Hayes touches the ball he's closer to the penalty area than the halfway line mm-hmm. which if you're going to play with a high line he needs to be out of his box for the second goal he he died and struggled his way out of the penalty area and eventually brought Sterling to be fair just outside the penalty area not in it and then for the third goal he just parried it in front of goal, quite a like mm, over the parried, last few
3: weeks. There was quite a few shots where he parried into yeah. danger and it's something he seems to be doing more this season. It's a
1: lot, that, that's something you see a lot more in, at Championship level than Premier League level, goalkeepers parrying the ball forwards out from goal mm. rather than to the side or wide and yeah, he just looks sluggish. Duncan, we often see stats, especially when Lloris,
0: the name of Loris, is in, in the frame, about errors leading to goals. How How is that exactly worked
3: out? Uh, it's slightly subjective, so but it's basically, okay. yeah, I mean, it's a decision where you can basically say that a player, or, it's usually a goalkeeper. Um, has. But he has, enjoys
0: a, a Man City-esque lead in that department, is that right? Uh, I
3: think Petr Cech's still ahead of oh, him. Oh, is he? Yeah, okay. so it's a North London tie-up. But um, it's something where he never used to really feature, but this year he is very high. What's the reason for that, then? Is it a change in the way that Spurs defend or what he's asked to do by
2: Pochettino, or is he just getting old and befuddled? Uh, yeah, I'd be, I'd be... Reluctant to call him more than a blip at this stage. I mean, he's been a very good goalkeeper during the time he's been yeah. there, and uh, yeah, he's made some mistakes, but I, I'm not sure he's he's past it. Yeah, you know, is it moving
0: Aldeverald out of the the, the defence in front of him?
2: No, I don't think so. I, I still think they've been pretty solid, despite the fact they didn't look that good at the weekend. Um, no, I, personally, I think it's just a few mistakes, and he
1: may well recover for next year. Um, a few people yeah. were to- talking about age. I don't think age can be an excuse. He's only 31, which for a goalkeeper is. No age at all. Mm. So, no, I don't think it's age. I think it is just a blip. But Pochettino will be worried because his press depends on all of those sections in the team working. The midfield needs to press. The defence needs to be high. And therefore, the goalkeeper needs to be proactive at Mm. coming out of the area. So...
3: Yeah. But that's a key thing, actually. I think when he joined Spurs, he was very much known as a sweeper keeper, mm. um, and then within a couple of seasons, he he was actually the keeper who'd moved furthest back. So it almost—I'm sure that was a coaching decision. They'd actually said, you know, you don't need to be as stop coming so far forward. Um, but it's almost like with he parked his lorries in a, in a certain sense, very so, much so, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's almost like he's now having to reverse that kind of trajectory a little right. bit and not not able to do it
2: and not get a three-point turn. Yeah, no, it all works. I mean, during the the vs. Boas days, he had an incredible uh, habit of heading the ball clear from mm. about 25 yards outside his and goal. And
3: handling it outside the area for a bit. Well, <laughs> yes, he was did, there.
2: yeah. It was, even, you know, it was even more extreme than a kind of neuer because it was, yeah, just so I've never seen a goalkeeper head the ball so much. It was mm. bizarre. Alright, well his blip in form, as you put it
0: Daniel, coming at the start of a crucial week for Spurs, they go again on Tuesday at Brighton, who have issues of their own, and then on Saturday, it is of course the FA
1: Cup semi-final back at
0: Wembley, but this time in the away dressing room. Mm, we get to do the whole
1: does Pochettino need to win a trophy thing all over again this Great. week, which is All excellent. right, well,
0: we'll save that for Thursday then. <laughs> and let's round out this chat by saying, yes, Man City, you are champions. And what are the very best of the many stats that their incredible season has so far
3: thrown up? I've got some favourites here, Duncan. I wonder if you would give us yours. <laughs> OK, I think possibly my favourite is that the... They've obviously won the Premier League twice before this season. In both those seasons, this is a juicy one. Yeah. yeah. In 2012, the manager of the year wasn't Mancini. It went to uh, Alan Pardew. <sighs> Two years later, City win it. You know, score over a hundred goals. Who do they give it to? Tony Pulis. And both those managers have been sacked by the team who gave City the title yesterday.
0: That's incredible. That is good.
3: That is incredible. That is good. Yeah. Hashtag. It's a funny old game,
0: <laughs> <laughs> isn't it? Though, isn't it? Who votes on manager of the season? Can I ask?
3: I think it's all the managers, yeah. Yeah. is it? Mm.
0: It's, it's interesting. Do you think there's is there a certain amount of Eurovision-esque tactical voting? Is that why people like?
3: <laughs> well, I think Pulis no and... English. I mean, obviously, Pulis is Welsh, but no kind of English managers won it for a long won the league for a long time. Right. And I think you do get, get seasons where a uh, British manager does okay, and uh-huh. everyone sort of goes, "Let's give him manager of the year" because they're never going to win the league. So, but surely Guardiola's got to get it this year. I mean, they're going to set. I think,
2: think Dice will get it. You think so? Yeah, yeah, genuinely. All
0: right, well, we'll talk about the reasons why very soon but some more amazing stats this one from Adam Bate who should be joining us a little bit later on take away every goal by Sergio Aguero and Gabriel Jesus so even if they hadn't scored any goals Man City would still be top of the table ooh moreover even if Edison had basically just stood there and watched every single shot go into the back of the net and not made a single save they would still be qualifying for Europe so they could have just
3: kept Claudio Bravo League Cup hero League Cup hero
0: go on another of yours Duncan
3: this one is possibly very niche, but okay. here we go. Since uh, since John Betjeman, the poet, died, only okay. teams who have employed Paul Skulls at that time or yep. Lenny Pidgeley uh-huh. have managed to retain the title. Okay, um, we are in a period where teams, you know, we're on course this to be the first decade since the 1960s where no team has retained the title. I mean, City could do it next year, They I could
2: guess. do, couldn't they? I, I, saw, I saw Lenny Pidgeley play uh, last month for Margate against Kingstonian, and he went down for about five minutes with what looked like a fairly serious injury, mm. and I said to my friend, they should bring on pidgeley Otto instead, which requires you to have some knowledge of Pokemon characters, but I think is actually quite a good joke. All right. Well, Pidgeley and Pokemon characters, f- for any
0: listeners who were... Confused about that. He's a former Chelsea. That How deep is your po- Pokemon
2: knowledge? Oh no! Like they were, they were big. Uh, they were big in the early two thousand. Uh,
3: one more. Like, maybe oh, go on. Main... I've got a question here from Adam oh.
0: Purdue Purdue, I don't know if he's. <laughs> <laughs> Adam Purdu. <laughs> Adam Purdu, <laughs> who says uh, City is still in with a shout are getting a higher goal difference than United's points tally. Has that ever been done before?
3: It hasn't. Record goal difference, 71, Chelsea in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, and United came second with more points than that. So, wow. yeah, there's okay. something to aim for.
0: All right, back to you and your stats.
3: No, I was just going to put it. This is the first time Mourinho's never, uh, you know, hasn't won the title in his second season. That's at the club, true. Including both spells at Chelsea. You know, doesn't really mean that much, but it does kind of show he's, you know, in a more of a drought than, than possibly uh, people might think.
2: There's a wonderful article in the Times today by Paul, Paul Hurst, kind of a four-page special all about the kind of behind-the-scenes uh, look at basically um, how Guardiola organises the team in a kind of camaraderie sense, I would say, more, uh-huh. more than a kind of on-pitch thing. But there's also this what, fantastic... What kind of thing do you, Break the, the paywall. Come on, Michael. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. Uh, just like small details about them organising paintboarding trips and uh, the fact Kevin De Bruyne has been very popular because he speaks four different languages huh. and kind of links the team together in that sense. The fact that Guardiola's, uh walks around in his socks uh, in Manchester City's office, which doesn't really have any relevance. Oh wait, relevance. but just n- not just in his socks? No, no, other clothes, but you know. Shoes okay. off.
3: That always kind of annoys me when people do that in offices. Oh, really? Take the shoes off, yeah. Well,
2: don't join Manchester City, is there? I probably won't. You wouldn't, have, you wouldn't have got on with John McLean then, that's for sure. <laughs> but but the thing I found most interesting is this, is this graphic, which I realise doesn't work in podcast form, but I'm going to show it to you, James. All right. Is the positions of all the goals they've scored. Wow. And what I find really interesting is... It looks like is, an arts and craft project. But Basically, this, this yeah. massive, those are penalties there. Okay. There's this massive gap between... 12 yards out towards the edge of the D where they yeah. haven't scored a single goal yeah. and that's been really noticeable about their season they've always worked the ball into basically point blank positions and I don't think you'll ever see a team's goals where the, the shots are from so close to goal right it's basically it looks like a marble contest <laughs>
4: yes,
0: you know, yes, loads yes, exactly. of, load of coloured balls dotted around the goal up until the penalty
2: spot and then nothing for a good what 10 yards until yeah so between they haven't scored any goals from between 12
0: what and does that mean it looks yards. like
3: someone's been doing their XG homework that's what it looks like well oh. it, it I think that could well have come so, into
0: So, okay, explain that to people who haven't quite got
3: on board with the XG bandwagon yet. <laughs> so, XG, expected goals. Yeah. Um, so, what, why does that make you think that someone's done their homework? Because shooting from the edge of the area is not very productive. Ah. Um, and that's something that a good football manager would know innately anyway, but, you know, that's, a, that's probably the most stark example of a team making sure they're getting into good positions before shooting I've ever seen, I think. Right.
0: Oh, okay, Excellent doesn't come about by chance, Daniel. No. Oh. Well, loads more to discuss from this Premier League weekend, including the important games everywhere from St Mary's to St James's. If stats are your thing, do stay tuned because you've got some absolutely extraordinary ones coming up about Arsenal and Dimitri Payet. That'll be later on. After this, though, we're going to talk about the extraordinary walls when we're joined by Sky Sports football writer Adam
5: Bate by night known as Ghost Goal listeners our partnership with paddy power helps to keep this podcast free and speaking of free when you join paddy's rewards club every time you place five bets of 10 pounds or more on any sport in a single week paddy will give you a free 10 pound bet the following week sign up now at paddypower.com t's and c's apply max 10 pound bonus per person per week specific odds required exclude shops and cashed out bets 18 plus only be gamblerware.org and when the fun stops stop Adam Bate, thank you so much for joining us today no problem james you're here to tell us about
0: Wolves. Yes. Because they're in the Premier League next season. It's settled. They did it without kicking a ball after Fulham drew it home to Brentford. Then they did kick a ball and beat Birmingham. So that's a nice weekend, isn't it?
4: Yeah, the echoes of Manchester City, I suppose. It was uh, It was pretty routine, pretty comfortable against Birmingham. It's been pretty comfortable all season.
0: Yeah, well, in other echoes of City, they've been top since forever and have achieved their goal, although not the title yet, but at least promotion with four games to spare. Now, on one hand, it's very heartwarming to see a team that we'd seen wave bye-bye to the Premier League with Terry Connor with a tear in his eye and everything, and they went all the way down to League One and now come back. But on the other, there's all sorts of people saying, well, yeah, but Portuguese players, Chinese cash, meddling Jorge Mendes. So how excited should we be?
4: I think excited in the sense that they're going to be a, a useful outfit in the Premier League and going to make an impact. Obviously, the fact that Mendes was was there on Sunday kind of adds to that feeling that his influence is too strong. I mean, he's he's a bit more than just an agent of the player and the head coach. He's uh, he's an advisor to the club. He's got you know 15% stake in his agency, the owners have got. So it is problematic. Mm. But, I mean, I think the strange thing about the FFP complaint with Wolves is that it's not... That they're you know you're used to Manchester City and Paris Saint Germain that they're spending too much money. The complaint with Wolves is that the fees are artificially deflated for the players and the wages, um, which is a, a rare complaint. That what you, so
0: as to make them fit into the restrictions?
4: Yeah, they're, they're playing. They're paying less money for some of these players than Aston Villa are paying and Birmingham are paying. That's the complaint. But I think it's worked for the club. It's worked for the agent. It's worked for the player. So it's a, it's been a success for the club all round.
0: Well, indeed. Bangladesh FC tweeting in, saying, in light of Wolves' promotion, can you shed light on what makes Espiritu Santo, or as Bangladesh FC call him, Mr Fishburn Statham, such a special manager? And by the way, that's absolutely spot on. Uh, where do they finish in the Premier League next season? Asked Bangladesh FC. And I would add, where would they be if they'd played this season in the Premier League? With I think this they sport?
4: would have stayed up this season, no problem. Um, I think it's easy to forget how it could have gone wrong for Wolves this season. I mean, Walter Zenga. <laughs> didn't exactly uh, do too well and that's the problem when you introduce these players I think there's a fear that it would be a shop window and they'd do a few tricks and try and get a move Nuno's kind of created this culture at the club where that they are in it and it's there's some sort of purpose to what they're trying to do they've been incredibly organized they've been controlled more controlled it I mean there are echoes with Guardiola but it's been more kind of they've only scored five against one team it's just been whenever they've taken the lead they've They've just seen the game out. They've not lost a game in which they've they've led. And, uh, yeah, I think if they kept this team together, they would be a mid-table side. But there's a risk that they lose Ruben Nevers, I suppose. But there's also an opportunity to sign better George Mendes clients. Um, they need a striker. Both the strikers are on loan. Uh, I suppose Conor Cody, as good a season as he's had, he was bullied by Mitrovic. And they're going to be tested more at the back, of course. But uh, you look at the Premier League and... Anything from sort of eighth or ninth is uh, is doable, isn't it? Look at what Newcastle have done this yeah. season. I
0: do like the stat you tweeted out. Not saying the championship is a strange league, but the only team Wolves haven't beaten are Sunderland.
4: Yes, although they do still have to play them last day of the season.
0: Bingo. sorry. Right. Could Sunderland, who in the meantime have dropped to the bottom of the championship, Sunderland
3: who are on course to be the first team to finish bottom of the top division and then the second division since Wolves in the mid eighties. So there we go.
0: Wow. Isn't that like you, Duncan, to (laughs) sweep in at the last with with a killer stat? Brilliant. All right, well, Adam, that was great. Lovely. Thanks so much for popping in. There's more of that kind of thing on the Totally Football League show coming up with Ian and company on Tuesday. After this,
5: more Premier League. Listeners, the World Cup is just around the corner, so it's time to step up your preparations and brush up your knowledge with the official 2018 FIFA World Cup Russia sticker collection from Panini. Panini's been creating iconic World Cup albums and stickers since 1970 and this collection is their most comprehensive yet, featuring the best players from all 32 teams taking part in international football's flagship competition this summer. Whether this is your first ever Panini album or, like us at the Toasty Football Show, you still proudly flick through your completed collections from Mexico 86 and Italia 90, you can't beat that feeling of tearing open a packet and seeing what's inside. There are five stickers inside every pack and you can get them at all good retailers now. What's more, this time you can complete a digital version of the album via Panini's free app. Find out more at fifa.com Panini sticker album. That's Panini spelt P-A-N-I-N-I. And get tweeting using the hashtag GotGotNeed.
0: Adam Bate at Ghost School if you want to be across him on Twitter. Fascinating uh, person to follow. Ooh, I see you can't wait there, Daniel. You're just... Uh... Tearing into these uh, Bernini packets, and rather yeah. than having golden tickets in them, they've got five golden stickers. Yeah, they're not actually golden They've got players <laughs> on them. Who've you got, anyway? Who've you got?
1: Uh, I've got Mario Mandzukic, yes. Mats Hummels, uh-huh. Christoph Mashinsky uh-huh. Admir Memedi,
3: and David Guzman of All right. Costa Rica. Got the nation of Brazil. Damn, they're good. Uh, Lamin Gassamo, Marco right. Sensio. Max Hummels as well. A bit of a Max Hummels Mm. overload. And Matthias Kauho.
0: Okay. Right. I'm familiar with all of those players. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Hey, I've got Antoine Griezmann. That's the the headline news there.
2: And Michael? Yeah, this is making me realise that I need to do lots of research ahead of the World (laughs) Cup. Because alongside Branislav Ivanovic, I have Jalal Husseini of Iran. Oh, yeah. Ahmad Hassan of Egypt. All right. And... Emil Halfredsen of uh, Iceland. Yeah, he's not been at his best this season, but there's still high hopes that he can recapture that form. But I've also got this shiny. Of uh, 1930. Uruguay from 1930, which is exciting. There's some great stories about the 1930 World Cup, actually. It's worth, if you you get one of those history of the World Cup uh, books, Yeah, the 1930 one is fascinating. Which book would you recommend as an author yourself, Michael? Well, uh, the the famous one is the Brian Glanville book. Um, Should I go to that one? I actually prefer a book by a guy called Rob Fielder, who has kind of comprehensively gone through almost every every match and and written about a kind of breakdown of each game, which is quite incredible piece of work. It it
1: would be fair to call it comprehensive, wouldn't it? Is it a bit too comprehensive? No, no, no. Well, it's... um, Yeah, I mean, it's it's a research book, I think. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah, Okay, I think it's about 600 pages, isn't it? Yeah. But the the Glamville
2: one's very interesting on the early World Cups in terms of just the logistics of... Organising a football tournament in Uruguay, yeah. for example, that you know the first tournament, the European sides all went on the same boat to South America together yeah. huh. and picked up Brazil on the way, on the you know, and then headed to Uruguay, which is just Brilliant.
3: might happen this year.
2: Yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> it's a merman. Yeah,
0: famously, Italy went to the 1950 World Cup by boat. You know why? Nope. Because of the Superga Air disaster, oh, they weren't of allowing their players anywhere near an airplane after that. Oh, well, that's and it's widely. I mean, and we've told this story before, but um, because they spent effectively three weeks on a boat sailing through the straits of Gibraltar and then across the Atlantic, and the only fitness training they did was jogging around the, the <laughs> deck, <laughs> um, they arrived totally out of shape and promptly got knocked out in the group stages and were put on a plane back home. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's excellent. Yeah, <laughs> actually, one yeah. of the frustrating things about the World Cup history is how many tournaments were. The structure of the tournament just doesn't make sense. Like the number of, number of times where there's just silly things happening, like three teams in one group. Or
1: fifty-eight was bad for that. Wasn't it? Fifty-eight so was. What bad was, bad was that. wrong with fifty-eight? Fifty-eight effectively became the semi-finals. Finals were effectively the last group games, weren't they? There was only a group stage and then a final.
2: Yeah. Huh. Nineteen fifty famously didn't have a final. It just so happened yeah. that Uruguay and The final game was, was the yeah. final group. So people game. Really? think it's a final.
3: Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't. I think we're actually now in the longest kind of run of actual World Cups being the same in the same structure. Yeah, so. I think we are. Although
0: there's a, clearly a move to change it ahead of not this one, but the one after this
1: mm. one. Now they the, apparently they want to change Qatar to a 48 team
2: yeah. World yeah. Cup. Yeah. So yeah, the one after. The, well, there's, there's one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this this just just idiotic of me. Yeah. 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 There was um. also one
2: <laughs> tournament, uh, Duncan. You might know, maybe 74 or something, where you only played two games in the group. So you had two seeded teams and they played the two... That was 78, I think. 78, it? you yeah. might be right. So the two big teams would play the two small teams, but uh-huh. they wouldn't play off against each other. Interesting. Which is, that's not what you want from a football tournament. <laughs> you want the good teams to play each other. Yeah. So this whole World Cup history, I find actually quite frustrating because it's just, well, that doesn't really make sense all the time.
3: And then you had the era with, um, obviously you needed 16 teams from 24, so some terrible teams. You could basically get through to the next round without winning a group game, yeah. which happened quite a lot. So oh.
0: Like Italy in '82 turned it well, or Portugal in the
2: last Euros.
3: Incidentally. Yeah, people yeah,
2: forget fair about. Point.
0: Mm. Fair point. Fair huh. point. Anyway, so you would recommend probably on balance for the kind of the, the casual reader the the um,
2: the Brian Glanville. The, the Glanville one is is uh, yeah, it's it, that's the kind of the definitive history, it's, it's a, right. especially the early tournaments. It's a story well told. All right. Yeah. Uh,
0: producer Ben just pointing out that if they do bring in 48 teams for Qatar, that's going to be a very big Panini
3: album. Very big. Bigger than Qatar. (laughs) (laughs) Possibly so. Listeners,
5: if you want to combine your knowledge of the footy with your knowledge of the footsie, then you need to get yourself over to the football stock market, Football Index. Football Index is a new way to profit from your knowledge of the Premier League, League One, Serie A, La Liga and beyond. Buy and sell players, build a portfolio, earn dividends and sell at a profit. Because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can try Football Index and trade up to £1,000 entirely risk-free. Just head to footballindex.co.uk, enter the promo code TOTALLY, and if you don't love Football Index, you'll get a full refund with their 7-day money-back guarantee. Download the app or play online at footballindex.co.uk and become a football trader today. T and C's apply, you must be over 18, deposit required, and please trade responsibly. Right, apparently
0: we've got to get back to Premier League and that kind of thing. So loads of midweek games coming up. West Ham Stoke, which will be an interesting game, mm-hmm. particularly for that man Arnautovic. Other midweek games that will be happening include Spurs at Brighton, Bournemouth Man United, Leicester Saints and Burnley-Chelsea. Burnley, incredible story here, says Andrew Lang, is Burnley and Newcastle. Deitch and Rafa are doing wonderful jobs With limited resources, Stein says, can Burnley overtake Arsenal? Difference of just two points now. A good-looking schedule for Burnley and a confrontation between the pair on the 5th of May. That's very exciting. Of course, this has all been brought about by Newcastle's victory over Arsenal on Sunday afternoon. It's the fourth straight win for Rafa Benitez and his side. All sorts of interesting things here. Slimani making an appearance. Mm-hmm. A lovely goal from Perez as well. Yep. And an absolutely incredible pass from Shelby. Yes. Beautiful. Yeah.
2: I mean that was that is what Shelby's good at. Long diagonals into, into wide areas. Um, you know, he needs to be reined in a little bit in terms of his positioning, but his his long range passing is, is exceptional, yeah. Mm. Not the most intense of matches, some felt,
0: given that there was only one I think there was only one yellow card and it happened after 90 minutes have been played. I didn't realise
2: that. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that the problem with Arsenal here was they'd flown back from Moscow um, on the Thursday night, arrived back Friday morning, couldn't really train on the Friday, had to fly up to Newcastle on the Saturday. Not to take anything away from Newcastle, but, Mm. uh, you know, Arsenal's priority is the Europa League. And I think that's a a good point that the um, question makes, that Burnley could well overtake Arsenal because Burnley are, what, five in a row now? And Arsenal have got their... They start set on uh, the Atletico games, which will hamper them probably for three Premier League games. Mm. So
1: that could well happen, Burnley above Arsenal. Interesting, semi-interesting probably, statistic on Newcastle. It was the first Premier League home game they've come from behind to win since Alan Pardew's last game in charge, uh, December 2014. Wow taken on the dunking Give
2: that out. man Sorry.
3: an eight-year contract.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a great story with Newcastle, actually. And I think maybe people haven't focused enough on the kind of romance of the situation surrounding Benitez, if I can put it that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's remember, he Newcastle punching massively above their weight to get Benitez. He'd been in charge of Real Madrid earlier in the season. It took a massive step down, really, to go to them and took them down. And I remember being at a really brilliant game two years ago where they lost 3-2 at Norwich with a late goal, which kind of was the game that sent them down, not mathematically, but pretty much. And despite the fact they lost, the fans were fantastic that day and just sung his name again and again and again. And Benitez had a a break clause at the end of that year if Newcastle were relegated, where he could break the contract. And everyone thought, well, why on earth would Benitez stick around for the championship? But he did, and partly because the supporters were so great, because the squad wasn't great. The ownership is completely uncertain. But the fans just completely embraced him and got on board with him. And I think, you know, a a lot of people like to laugh when people say, oh, Newcastle fans are great and and they think it's a bit of a cliche or whatever. But the support of the fans is what has kept Benitez there. And Benitez is the man who's kept them in the Premier League. Mm. I think he's done a great job. And, you know, with regard to him and Dyche, I don't think those squads are any better than the, the three in the relegation zone. I mean, Southampton, Stoke and West Brom have got more star players than Burnley and Newcastle. That's
3: the impact of, of good management and, and I think you go this, along with that? yeah I think this season it is possibly the, the Premier League season which has shown most that managers make a massive difference you know everyone, you, you, anyone who compliments Guardiola someone will go well he's got all that money to spend well but look what he's done with it and look what Deitch has done at Burnley and look particularly what Benitez has done at Newcastle and then compare that with some of the teams how some of the teams in the relegation zone have been managed and it, you know that is the difference
0: Newcastle now just one point behind Everton, ninth place. Everton, they're in the top half. They're only two points behind Leicester, who got beaten, of course, by by Burnley this weekend.
1: Well, I was just going to say about about Benitez. He, he he picks his clubs well because there's obvious there's obvious links to to his Liverpool and his his Valencia picking a non capital city side with a you know a community and a support that really you know, bides into its football team. But speaking to Newcastle fans, they see Benitez as a as a Bobby Robson type figure, which is incredible given that he's A not from Newcastle, B not from England, and B only been and C only been there, you know, less than eighteen months. It's it is an incredible um not just a turnaround in the in the in the playing style and the playing performance, but the buy in from from Benitez into that club yeah. when he had no as you say Michael, he had no reason to stay there beyond six months. Never mind eighteen is his,
3: his family are very settled in England though. I think. Yeah. So
2: But it's help. interesting that he's uh, struck up such a great relationship with the supporters of two clubs, that's Liverpool and not Chelsea that I'm referring to there. <laughs> but because you know when you read accounts from players of his management style, the common theme is they say he doesn't really get people. You know, he, he almost sees them as like robots. He wants structure, he wants organization, but he doesn't really tap into people's personalities or get to know them. But when is when is the kind of the supporters to get on board? Mm. He manages it as well as any manager I can think of in the last ten or fifteen yeah, the, years.
1: The really interesting player for me in that is that is is Paul Dummett at left back at Newcastle because he was a player who was fairly unpopular with supporters, and and Mohamed Diame is another example. Um, and you're right, that's what Benitez does. Is he doesn't he doesn't micromanage players' personality. That's not what he's about. But because he's got such a buy-in from the supporters, if Benitez backs a player the supporters back that player, and then suddenly the player plays better and it, it all moves in the same direction. Um, they are a very heartwarming story after a few years of some pretty wretched news.
0: They certainly are. You mentioned the three teams down the bottom and they, they look increasingly likely we will be waving goodbye to them. Michael, at the end of the season, West Brom, that victory's taken them to nine points from safety now. It does look like it's too little, too late. Stoke are five, sorry, six points from safety. Southampton, five points behind. Swansea who are now the team just above that dotted line. Saints, of course, who looked like they'd done themselves a huge favour, going 2-0 up. They were What, 20 minutes to go? They were still 2-0 up against a misfiring Chelsea. And then
1: what happened? Giroud? Yeah, Giroud and Willian as well. Giroud grabs the headlines because he scores the goals, but Willian created more chances than any other player this weekend. He has, over the last couple of months, stepped firmly from outside Eden Hazard's shadow and is kind of the most creative influence um, over these last two months, when admittedly they've been poor, but yeah, Southampton are finding they've managed in three games to lose three different ways and concede three goals in different ways. And when you play well and lose, and play badly and lose, it generally you think, oh, they need a new manager. And these are Mark Hughes's first three games in charge, and he was reportedly set for a million pound bonus if he kept them up, and he's coming nowhere near at the moment. Mm.
0: A claim that Mark Hughes has never been relegated. Reminds me, says Ghost Cole, of the line about the dodging driver who has never had a car accident but has seen a few in the rearview mirror. Uh, Stoke, of course, are playing West Ham tonight. That could be one of them. And and West Ham, he could be very much at the wheel for if, if they don't turn it around. They do have a game coming up on Thursday where Leicester, who's... Interest in the Premier League appears to be limited
3: at the moment, Leicester. Is that fair? They were pretty good against Burnley. They pretty much dominated most of that game. Really? Yeah, Burnley had only scored one first half goal all year in the Premier League. They scored two in the first nine minutes and then didn't have another shot on target in the game, which is like, you know, pure Burnley. <laughs> but, you know,
0: that's what they do. All right. So you don't fancy Southampton's chances on Well,
3: I also think in the reverse fixture, you know, Claude was was fairly keen yeah. to show his former employers that maybe. Of course. So I think he'll uh, he'll be animated on Thursday. Right.
0: Also this weekend, Huddersfield did themselves a the power of good with a 1-0 win of an actual goal from Tom Ince. That was exciting there at the John Smith Stadium uh, over Watford. Huddersfield are now seven points clear. Swansea had a draw with Everton. They do have games coming up against Southampton and Stoke, so their destiny is very much in their own hands. They had a 1-1 draw with Everton.
3: Mm. Sam Allardyce was particularly cock-a-hoop after that game came out and said um, it's a tough place to go and he was pleased with the point but it's not really that tough a place to go and particularly Everton um, had won three of their previous six games at Swansea and Swansea had only ever beaten Everton once at home so this I, this kind of theory he was espousing that Swansea's a, a very tough place to go and that he's kind of turned a corner for Everton just doesn't you know, stand up
1: that, that Everton support are Incredibly well. They're actually, they're split between anger and total apathy at the moment with Allardyce. He he is he has somehow managed to lose all goodwill um, that he had post. Sunderland post-Palace, post-England even in the space of three months at Goodison um, because he's gone into a huge opportunity to change his reputation and we know all about his Aladji comments and I'm more suited to managing to and Real and he's gone into a big club and he's turned them into a small club in terms of performance and style and setup, and he will leave this summer and may well not get another job outside the Premier League relegation zone I think. Um, he's proved himself adept at getting teams out of trouble, but has proven himself completely incapable of doing anything above that, I think. Mm. Fair point.
0: Now, uh, here's a question about Palace and Brighton who faced each other this weekend. 3-2 was the uh, margin of victory for Palace. Are Palace with those three points out of trouble and could Brighton still be in it? So Palace currently are six points clear of the drop and Brighton... Are a whopping seven, but they have an absolutely rotten fixture list. They've, uh, what have they got? Spurs at home, then Burnley away, and then Man United, and then Man City away, and then they finish with Liverpool.
3: Duncan well you could always argue that Liverpool you know could be preparing for the Champions League final I remember be. Laurie Sanchez getting his only win to keep Fulham up that season against a Liverpool team preparing for the Champions League final so we can't necessarily draw too much from the fixture list but yeah I think I think probably both of them are, are okay I think really that, yeah I think so it's a good game
0: Brighton have only had in their last five matches they've only had where well, they've only had one draw. They've had four defeats and a draw, and the draw was at, at home to Huddersfield. So in terms of form, they are absolutely wretched right now. Yeah, interesting. But Palace you think could be could be out of trouble with that?
3: I think Palace will pick up probably at least one more win, which will will definitely be enough. Um it was a really good they were a really good first half that much. Yeah. Um five goals. Uh ten of the last eighteen Premier League games to have five or more first half goals have come in April or May, which suggests to me that Beaches, towels, cocktails, yeah.
2: I've got, I've got a theory that if there's five first-half goals mm. in a
3: game, there won't be any after the break. I think experience bears that. Best. Yeah. yeah,
2: and that, that happened in the Arsenal uh, Moscow first leg. And this all d- dates back to me not being allowed to watch the second half of Blackburn-Rosenberg in the mid-90s because it was past my bedtime. Uh-huh. Um, and I was furious because it was 4-1 at half-time. I was like, this is an incredible game. And then I looked at the result in the morning, it was still 4-1. It was and still 4-1. Ever since then, the Rosenberg theory has continually persisted
0: right although I- any youngsters who were sent to their beds at half time in the psg monaco clash would have been even more
2: embittered this morning to discover <laughs> yeah. that psg just kept on scoring yeah that's psg for you i must right. say i'm, I'm loath to give psg too much credit especially yes. when julian is on the program uh which he isn't today obviously uh but the quality of their goals was incredible yeah they scored some really lovely goals
0: smashing monaco the team in second place 20 points or 17 points behind something massive yeah. like that on a, on a big weekend league because that that result saw them confirmed as champions mm-hmm. just you know ending that niggling doubt that we'd all had <laughs> uh, while uh, marseille continued their excellent form putting real pressure on monaco now for second place <laughs> uh, all good we haven't talked about liverpool beating bournemouth 3-0 Speaking of teams on the beach, it's quite literally the case with the, the Cherries down there on the south coast. They are very close, yeah. Yeah, uh, Loads of goals now for Liverpool. Loads of goals for Mo Salah. No surprise there. And a uh, possible injury to Dejan Lovren? Is that true? He
3: pulled up. As Did they he? Say. Yeah. yeah. But I haven't heard of whether it's bad or not. OK.
0: And, of course, the other Liverpool news is the fact that, as you mentioned, Champions League, Roma in the semi-finals payback after 34 years as Gazeta they had a big double page well actually I think it was more than double page. it was two pages on the 84 final Grobbler's wobbly knees and all that sort of thing Uh and um uh, I think they're quite worried about Liverpool I think that would be a fair summary of the Italian view of this but a tremendous opportunity for them to get revenge not the first time they face each other I remember a UEFA cup game with some controversial refereeing probably what would that be 2001 that was 2001 yeah, yeah.
2: That was Spanish great. That was referee. when the referee pointed to the penalty spot. Yeah, and then Liverpool went crazy, and then he just pointed for a corner. Yeah, that was incredible. Yeah,
1: Went with what a sort of moving arm, didn't he? Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. Span- <laughs> rubbish bin for a heart.
1: <laughs>
0: Speaking of which, by the way, Buffon has. Uh, he said, "I do not regret what I said, but I would have used. If I said it again, I would use more civil language." But he's he's basically doubled down on his on his assertion <laughs> that Michael Oliver was. Was inexperienced, was not at the altedso, didn't have the stature to handle a game of that magnitude, and that a more experienced referee would have turned away rather than give a penalty, essentially because it didn't fit with the whole emotional momentum of what Juve were trying to do, which is a, which is a singular way of interpreting it. A lot of a lot of the media reports in Italy seem to back the idea that it wasn't a penalty, which I personally don't agree with. I think it was, but. There are a lot of voices saying, "Gigi, you, you're kind of blowing it with these with these comments." Uh, Del Piero saying, "I'm sure that when when Buffon thinks again, he will take a different view." And 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 the Gazetta basically with a big editorial saying, "Won't someone think? Of, won't Gigi think of the kids?"
3: Well, I think we've all been in scenarios where we've maybe like an argument and you carry on because to to back down would be yeah. to undermine everything. So you know, let's see how far he can go.
0: Well, he's. You know, he's made some mistakes in his career without question, and he's usually been pretty good at, well, as his pr- profession would suggest, putting his hands up. But uh, so one can only await uh, with fingers crossed for a more enlightened state of mind to, to reach him. Anyway, we'll talk more about continental stuff later on and have some questions and that kind of thing. Right now, though, this.
5: Men and ladies of the Totally Football Show, why waste time going to the shop to buy overpriced quadruple-bladed vibrating turbo razors and making the likes of Thierry Henry and Roger Federer even richer by doing so? Instead, head to cornerstone.co.uk slash totally and pick up a personally engraved razor and six super sharp blades delivered right to your door for just four pounds. There are no gimmicks with Cornerstone, just a closer, smoother shave than ever before. And it doesn't just work on your face either. I used it on Jimbo's head before we started recording. Mmm. Head to cornerstone.co.uk slash totally to see for yourself. And if you don't love your first Cornerstone shave, they'll give you your money back, no questions asked.
0: What's up, listeners? Who've I got this time? Uh, Hiroshi Kiyotake. Are you familiar with him, Michael?
2: Yes. Who's he play for then? Uh he plays in Germany, doesn't he?
0: Wrong. So there's a Osaka. <laughs> I mean Kasper Michael, him you know. Course. Genki Haraguchi. Where does he play? No. This time he plays in Germany. He plays for Fortuna Okay. He's from Japan, you know. Uh, try this one at home listeners michibachiwai
1: <gasps> broken legs michibachiwai no he apparently oh, doesn't it
0: have, apparently it's not about it's ligaments okay uh, but <laughs> yes this was all from the Ruhr derby mm. when he was stretchered off and whisked off to hospital uh, more bad news from Borussia Dortmund on a night which saw them beaten by Schalke 2-0 how about that goal from Naldo did you see that one the,
1: was that the free kick that yeah look <laughs> As a horrible pedant. Whenever a free-kick goes in the bottom corner like that, I think that the wall is not in the right place. Oh, but, all right. Well, it was one of those
2: where they shifted it before yeah. they hit. Yeah.
0: Still, eh? Stayed hit, though, didn't it? Mm. Stayed hit. Still hit now. Gavin Hutchinson says Premier League killjoys missed two chances this season. to have Craig Pawson, referee Alfie Mawson v Craig Dawson. <laughs> Are there any other homonym opportunities on the horizon? Or was that it? Duncan?
3: It comes with me for that. Um, that's
1: one to Possibly, research. Yeah. yeah. There was i okay. I'm pretty sure John Stones played in the Johnston's Paint Trophy for Barnsley. <laughs> yeah, back been, in the yeah. day. So that's a nice oh, that's one. That's a good
0: one. Well, listeners, this, this does sound like fun. So if you've got any others, do send them in for the the quiet days ahead as we play out this meaningless charade of a season finale. Now, Arsenal, as we mentioned, are in the Europa League semi-finals against Atletico Madrid. What do you think of the draw for the Champions League and, and
2: Europa League? Mark, are you excited? Uh, yes. I mean, I think Liverpool Rome is a really interesting mm. game, and, and Bayern Real. It'd be nice to have a bit of an outsider in the final, if I can put it that way, rather than Real against Bayern, who we're used to seeing winning it in recent years. Yeah. For Arsenal, it's clearly the toughest draw they could have had. I mean.
0: Yeah, I, it's interesting because Atletico Madrid have been the favourites for the Europa League all season, pretty mm-hmm. much. But certainly watching the, the games last Thursday. The Atletico performance wasn't all that. I mean, they were effectively gifted that tie by mm. dismal-looking Sporting, whereas Marseille looked absolutely on fire. Yeah. Dimitri Payet's performance. We were talking about John Joshelvis ball. Did you see the the the, the incredible cross-field ball that he did while bombing up the wing, you, Daniel? You did. Mm,
1: yeah, he and and also scored a wonderful goal with the outside of his boot as well. didn't well, he? One was called
0: back, which was a was a a, a cracking goal. And then yeah, then he got Mm. another after, didn't he? But they looked amazing, Marseille. This was against uh, RB Leipzig. And uh, their reward is to take on another RB, but totally unconnected RB team, uh, Salzburg.
1: I wonder if um, it's... I mean, if Arsenal are going to win the Europa League, which they need to to get in the Champions League, they're probably going to have to beat Atletico. I actually wonder whether it's better playing them over the two legs than in a... No. final situation or no, not? No, no. Do you not think so? No, obviously. No, no, <laughs> I, I was I, I was asking rather than offering an Why? Opinion, but.
2: Why, Michael? If they'd got one of the other two teams, they might not have got Atletico in the final. Uh. Second, because I think Atletico are very good tactically, and I think over two legs, um, Simeone will outgun Wenger. I think that's more possible in two-legged situation. And lastly, because I think Atletico have lost two finals in the last three years and might have some kind of psychological complex
3: going into the final. Oh, interesting. What do you think, Doug? Uh, I agree with Michael actually, but just going back to Payet, Oh yeah. Um, since the start of last season, he's the second most creative West Ham player, even though he only played the first half of last season till now.
0: Wow. Okay, I'm going to ask you to just flesh that out a bit more because okay. it sounds amazing, but I want to make sure I understand. <laughs> so two seasons worth almost of football. Yeah. How are you defining creative? Uh,
3: chances created.
0: So in terms of chances created since the start of the previous season.
3: Yeah. Nobody has done more in all that time no, the one which... one player's got more Lanzini oh. I think. All oh, right. Okay. Um so but he's still the second he's the in, second in most creative. creatives yeah.
0: even though he left in January of last season.
3: Yeah, 15 months ago. So I mean that partly explains why West Ham have struggled this season um and you know, shows he's a very good player.
2: Yeah. And I think that him leaving shouldn't be underestimated in terms of the off field Problems with the club, you know, with the move to a new stadium, they were desperate to get a big name in, and then they realised actually this guy is so popular with supporters, he's the most popular player we've had for years, and then he completely sulked for the first half of last
1: season, and it's the equivalent of Spurs selling Kane this summer before moving back to White Hart Lane, isn't it? Yeah, which they will not countenance for exactly that reason.
2: Mm. He was so good that that one season. I mean, he he kind of he went from nowhere in the France pecking order to playing his way into the final and was playing in the European Championship final. And indeed had a very major part in that by uh, nobbling Cristiano Ronaldo. Oh, yeah. Good point. Uh, anyway,
0: so well, that's all very exciting. So uh, Arsenal's chances against Atletico are slim, would you say, Michael?
2: I think Atletico strong favourites, yeah. Right, OK. Go along with that, Daniel
1: got a sneaky suspicion about Liverpool and Arsenal in the European competitions this season. Really? I know sneaky suspicions are not really particularly helpful in terms no, no, of... No, no, but
0: you know, y- um, your gut is often the, the truest uh... indicator you can have. <laughs>
3: Thank you very much. What a Super Cup that would be in August. <laughs>
0: <Indeed>. <laughs> okay, um, anyway, on their route to the silverware potentially are with Marseille and, or one of Marseille and Salzburg, Salzburg who came back from 4-2 down. It was a week of that kind of thing and it, it continued on Thursday as they defeated Lazio 4-1 with I think three goals. Lazio actually took the lead in that game and that was three goals in three minutes with Lazio just basically fell apart, the boobs. And then they, uh, then of course they had the derby in Rome on, on, on Sunday and that finished a glorious 0-0. Roma hitting the post twice. It wasn't. It wasn't a high-scoring weekend, Daniel.
1: No. Um, the high point for my very limited Serie A weekend, i.e., highlights, was was Donnarumma's oh yeah last-second save,
0: which there was a lot of irony about. About don't you know what this means to what Napoli are trying to achieve? And there's been yeah. a lot of Buffon memes. He's become almost the kind of the Harry Kane of of, of Syria, even, even to the point that the Fiorentina fans, when the referee awarded a penalty against them, they chanted. Uh, insensitive, insensitive,
4: <laughs> and then VAR
0: took it away anyway. And that game finished goalless, and the, the Milan Napoli game finished goalless because Donnarumma basically stopped that, that 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 Milik chance. And that and there were five goalless draws. There were only eleven goals scored in all of Serie A this weekend. Yeah, and that means that basically the top four race is still every bit as tight because. Roma and Lazio and Inter only have one point between them, but it means the title race looks a little bit more done than it did before. Napoli drawing, Juve, though, beating Sampdoria 3-0 with a very Bundesliga-esque performance, as I think James Horncastle put it. Uh, Mandzukic, Hovadez and Kadira scoring the goals, and all three were set Mm. up by Douglas Costa. So they're now six points clear. There is a full midweek round of City, A matches, coming up, which will... uh, We'll partly talk about Galatasaray. and I imagine it will feature heavily in next Thursday's edition of the Totally Football Show. So that's something to look forward to. But before we finish off today, just around the rest of Europe, I mentioned the, the, the Riviera Derby. Mm-hmm. Riviera Derby, that's how you say it, isn't mm-hmm. it? So that was one big bit of news in the Bundesliga. But the other thing is, is the whole top four race and Bayern with their new manager, Niko Kovac who's done wonders, it is widely thought, with Eintracht Frankfurt this season. Following the news that he will be leaving them for Bayern, they promptly went and lost 4-1 to their top four rivals, Leverkusen, and they're not best pleased with Bayern's timing of this announcement. Is that
3: fair? It was very strange timing, wasn't it? Just before the Champions League draw, which seemed... Well, Bayern yeah. said, we thought that
0: Frankfurt would like, Eintracht would like to have
3: as much notice as possible
0: that we're taking their manager away, like they'd done them a favour. <laughs>
2: Well, Bayern have been uh, told off for bad timing before, haven't they, when they signed Götze on the eve of the Champions League final. I think Götze didn't actually play in that final, did he? He was injured, but uh, yeah.
0: Mm. So Bayern, who of course, 20 points clear is Schalke. Schalke only have a four-point lead over Leverkusen, who are level on points with Dortmund, and that's the top four. Then you've got Leipzig and Hoffenheim, who are four points outside the Champions League places, with Frankfurt now a further point Behind And as we say, Batshuayi stretched it off in the game against Schalke, suspected lig- ligament damage. That's potentially huge news. Uh, fingers crossed for him. France, we mentioned the fact that PSG have wrapped up their title. PSV, or PSV, confirmed themselves Eredivisie winners yep. with their victory against Ajax, Michael.
2: They did, and it was a really convincing performance. Uh, so much so, I think there was some trouble afterwards with oh. the fans demanding answers from players and boards but PSV have been very good this season and yeah this was just a completely convincing performance and there was also uh, an interesting occurrence where uh, the de Jong brothers were on either side Mm. so Luke de Jong scored for PSV and uh, CM de Jong was sent off for Ajax so that'll be a yeah mixed mixed day for them
0: for the de Jong family Mm. and what about Portugal the one remaining
2: title race yeah I, I think there's a argument for saying that this featured probably the biggest goal of this domestic European season because wow. there's been so few title races ok so this um, is the Estadio da Luz yep in Benfica. and Benfica are taking on Porto Benfica's lead over Porto was it was one point, one point. and now it is two point lead to Porto thanks wow. to a last minute goal from uh, Porto captain Hector Herrera which was a brilliant strike outside the box top corner um yeah, I mean, obviously that's absolutely a huge game regardless of the league situation, but Portugal's generally quite good for quite tight title races between those two. Um, it wasn't actually a great game. I thought it was quite attritional. Both sides were a little bit cautious. I think it was very much played in midfield, but Herrera, who I think is probably the outstanding player uh, in Portugal now. Mexico, uh, international, played very well at the last World Cup. Now the captain of Porto. Um, and yeah, just a fantastic strike. Brilliant. Highlight of his career, I'd think, so far. Wow, okay, Uh,
0: Porto are now on 76 points. Two points clear of Benfica, as you say. And Sporting are only three points behind in third. And there's four games to go, so that is wide open.
2: Yeah, and one of the games to go is Sporting against Benfica as well. So it could could be a really great Lisbon derby there. All
0: right. In Scotland, it's going to be Celtic take on Motherwell in the Scottish Cup final. After Motherwell did Aberdeen three nil and Celtic beat Rangers four nil, alrighty. Duncan, how are you going to follow a week of football like the one we just had?
3: With another week of football, oh, okay.
0: <laughs> the, there is um, lots of there's lots of games, isn't
3: there? There's Premier League games every day this week, other than Friday. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, <laughs> Sunday. As they are generally the other days. Um, so that's good. I think it's been a good couple of weeks of football because, in
2: part, because uh, over the last couple of years, Duncan has led the crusade against the idea that. 2-0 is a dangerous lead and as we've seen recently it's definitely a dangerous lead it's <laughs> dangerous <laughs> Southampton yeah. it's not the most dangerous lead but I genuinely think it is a dangerous right, lead right because
0: every time I say every time Rafa's on because he's such a bully he always picks on me with this thing of the, the 2-0 lead mm-hmm. uh, so what should I say to him next
2: time when he's in well I just look at the results yeah no. but then
0: anecdotal evidence <laughs>
3: yeah exactly
0: because actually well, last time we were in we were looking at the results and it only happens in about kind of 1% of cases but it just when it does you can well, well so, to,
3: to put it into perspective yeah Chelsea, 2 0 uh, two down, came out yep. to win 3 2. It's the first time they've done that since Girls Aloud were formed.
0: <laughs> when, when were Girls Aloud formed? 2000, Just to get some
3: 2002. 2003. Yeah. Ooh. 2003. 2003, I believe, yeah. Oh. You. Oh, 2002, you're right. Girls yeah. Aloud. <laughs> so don't
2: question my Girls Aloud knowledge. <laughs> yeah,
3: Christmas fair. number one in 2002 with Sound of the Underground. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, since that happened, Chelsea hadn't come from 2-0 down, but now they have. Is that right? So that, I mean, what to me, that seems rare. What stat
0: nuggets have you got,
3: kind of, that we've just not into? Seems to me like are going to get back together. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the fifth title in a row for a team in blue, which is the longest... It's interesting. The longest spell of non-red titles since 1958 to 1963. <laughs> 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 That's good, Duncan.
0: But I think, Daniel, you've got a pretty impressive Arsenal stat
3: yeah, they they
1: have failed to take a point away from home in 2018. What? And the nearest team in the league structure to them to fail to take an away point in 2018 is, is Tamworth, who are 20th in National League North.
0: Wow. So how many places between them? About 100?
1: Uh, yeah, 100 and well, more than that. Uh, 115 because oh, it's the
2: National League North so it's actually
0: yeah.
1: below the
2: National League
1: yeah it's 115 ish I mm-hmm. guess
2: wow you grasp the structure this season I can tell
1: James
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah I'm all
2: over, all over it um, wow that's astonishing
1: uh, I mean what it means is the, the, the shorter version of that stat is Arsenal have lost five
3: away games in a row right First time <laughs> it's 1984 I think in the league So, and you think about historically in the Premier League, Arsenal away from home. You know, the first team to go unbeaten away from home uh, in the Premier League season 0102. You know, they they kind of set the standard for teams playing as well away from home as at home, and those days are long gone.
2: Their home record is excellent because of their raucous home fans, but they just can't do it away from home. Oh dear. Well, on that
0: note, having chatted about the football, let's check in with our friends Paddy Power with producer Ben.
5: Thank you, Jimbo. I'm here with Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, I hope you're doing well. Let's talk about the Champions League, if we can. Liverpool, they're up against Roma. Are they going to do it this year?
6: Oh, well, according to all my Liverpool friends, it's a done deal. They're going to romp past Roma and Real Madrid and Bayern Munich are going to simultaneously knock each other out. So it's a sure thing, you ask them. Um, and actually, our traders kind of agree they're joint favourites to win the competition at 2-1. to one. That's joint, of course, with Real Madrid, who can't stop winning the thing. Uh, we certainly expect them to at least reach Kiev, Liverpool, as they're massively odds-on to get past Roma.
5: In the equally as glamorous European trophy, Arsenal. They're going to have to do it the hard way. Atletico Madrid. What are their chances of winning the Europa League this season?
6: <laughs> Again, you ask Arsenal supporters, you get a feel for this. They're very pessimistic. Drawing Atletico was the worst possible draw. And for that reason, they're not the favourites to win it. Uh, we go 10-3 to 3 that the Gunners lift the trophy. So that's still second favourite somehow. But you might be better off a bit better than them winning it next season instead.
5: Well, indeed, Lee, I am looking ahead to next season, but it's not Arsenal that I'm interested in. It's Burnley. They're hot on their heels in the Premier League. Looks like seventh place is going to be enough to get them into the Europa League. Have you got a price yet on them winning the Europa League next season, 2018 19?
6: Crikey, this. Um, you're going to be looking around 66 to 1, which makes them outsiders or dark horses, if you're being polite. Uh, and actually relegation next year will be more likely, in fact, twice as likely. There'll be 33-1 to to go down, so they might want to focus on enjoying Europe rather than winning it.
5: And we've heard from Adam Bate on the programme today. Wolves, back in the Premier League. Are they going to finish in the top half next season?
6: Well, why not? I mean, obviously their links to Jorge Mendes are well documented, and that means they should have a very exciting summer in the transfer market. Ruben Neves last season was a massive capture, and it'll be interesting to see how he adapts to the Premier League. We think Wolves are going to make it rain this summer and Newcastle are currently 10th without barely making it trickle. So Wolves are just 14-1 to 1 for top half finish. Uh, they'll be something similar for relegation currently but as they start spending those odds will lengthen and lengthen. They're definitely ones to watch next year.
0: You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. It's 18 plus only, begambleaware.org and when the fun stops, stop. And that's it for today's Totally Football Show. many thanks to Duncan, Daniel and Michael for being with us today. Thank you very much. It's been uh, most illuminating. Ian is back here tomorrow with the Totally Football League show. Golazzo returns on Wednesday, but you knew that anyway. And, of course, it's Totally Time again on Thursday. So I do hope you'll be along for some, if not all, of that. Many thanks for being with us today
5: and enjoy whatever it is you're up to. Cheerio. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddyneesmedia.com. Gentlemen, are you feeling a bit crap? Well, you're not alone. Everyone does at some point. But the thing people don't realise is just how common it is in chaps like you and me. Last year, 76% of all the suicides in Britain were male. That's 4,287 men, a figure not much smaller than the average League 2 attendance last season. On average, 12 men take their own life every single day, meaning that the leading cause of death for men under 45 in the UK is suicide. But that's part of the problem. There's still a strong social stigma around depression and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and seeking help when they need it. That's why we at the Totally Football Shows are working with Calm. They're the Campaign Against Living Miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide in the UK. Every day from 5pm till midnight, they provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. They've also got a website and a free magazine packed with the kind of information you need if you or any of your mates are having a rough time, as well as some cracking stuff on comedy, bands, film and, of course, football too. So if you are feeling crap, find Calm at thecalmzone.net for support and some straight-up manspiration.